0: Hey everybody, hope you're doing well. Welcome back to the channel. Today's Q&A uh, covered a lot of things, but first things first, uh, we kind of paid tribute to the great Chick Corea. He passed away recently and uh, this live stream was filmed the day after and uh, wanted to check out some of his music. So if the music does get cut out of the YouTube uh, video, you might go to Spotify or any other place and kind of check out some of the music I played, which was, um, a record called remembering bud powell that was from chick korea and also now he sings now he sobs, matrix so we checked those out um, at the beginning of our q a so i hope you have an amazing week thanks for being here go down below into the comments and uh, let me know what your favorite part of the video was and any other new questions that we have for next week. Uh, and at the same time, down in the description, you can see all the questions and you can click on that time code to go right to the one that you want. So go ahead and check that out. And uh, I hope you have a great week. We'll catch you next week in the live stream. Uh, I wanted to start a little bit and just talk about because we just lost those two days ago, but it just the news kind of came out yesterday about Chick And I just wanted to start off today by talking about you know him and his musicianship and how much it's meant to me because it's been um one of he's been one of those figures that i keep coming back to again and again and again um and i really just loved his curiosity and i loved his free expression man like in terms of someone who could just play any weird thing and have it come across as totally normal that was Chick Korea man and um, you know this track this tune here Matrix just kind of blew my mind man and they play for seven minutes and they just play and play and play uh, and it's just a blues and it's so creative and interesting and just kind of got me to think outside the box you know just think about think about how to make music that's not just tied to like it only has to be this way and it only has to fit into these ideas and things like that. but uh, yeah so rest in peace uh, Chick thank you chick. And, you know, he also is a big fan, as am I, of, of um, Thelonious Monk's music. Um, and I think for the same reasons, you know, I guess maybe it's through Chick that I kind of have developed an appreciation for a couple, couple other musicians, you know, because he would talk to them to about them a lot, which was um, Monk, obviously. You know, there's a great version of Panonica on the same record, Now He Sings, Now He Sobs, that we were hearing Matrix from. And him and Bud Powell, another p- pianist that sometimes gets left out in the study of bebop. Um, and I think his tunes maybe are even more accessible than birds for a lot of us uh, in terms of playing on trombone. I think that's definitely true. His, his, the melodies are not as kind of like in the weird register, like the, like the alto saxophone register, which is weird on trombone, but They're really just like so much great bebop language in his tunes. So, you know, there's a whole record of, of chicks. He has a great tune called Bud Powell, but there's just so many tunes by Bud Powell that he played, like Bouncing with Bud, Glass Enclosure, Tempest Fugit, Celia, all these like Oblivion, Tempest Fugit, just classic Bud Powell tunes. And yeah, I was just thinking about it now, how much like I think that that, all that stuff must be interconnected in terms of like, those are like my three favorite pianists, Bud Powell, well, including Herbie Hancock too. Herbie and Chick, and then Bud Powell and um, and Monk. So, yeah, yes. Yeah, but Chick, the Chick news kind of hit me hard because my students were asking me what I wanted to do still. You know, I mean, I have a lot of things I want to do still. I'm not that old, only thirty-two, but uh, playing with Chick was on my list. A big, big thing on my list. You know, and some at the Grammys last year in January, and uh, another friend of mine. Michael Rodriguez has been playing with them and a hero of mine, Steve Davis has been playing with them. And I'm like, man, okay, I'm going to make this happen. I told him I was going to learn some shit Korea tunes this year and like really try to make it happen. And then, uh, the universe had other plans. So that's all right. It's all good. But, uh, so it kind of just like shook me a little bit into like, Hey, you need to wake up, man. You need to go get some stuff done musically. So, so what is your favorite trumpet player? Who would it have to be? Well, I have different favorite trumpet players for different reasons. So someone who really inspires me a lot these days is a colleague of mine at UNT and from New York. Uh, we played together in Lucas Pino's band. His name is Philip Dizak. And if you haven't heard him recently, he has, he's on Shy Maestro's new record called Human, if you know that. I highly recommend checking it out. If Phil is somebody that has just an incredible sound and a unique lens that he improvises through and it always sounds like him, and that's something I aspire to some someday, to always sound like myself. And so he's someone that I think is really inspiring. So I would send you to him. Uh, for studying language, I really love having students do a couple Kenny Dorham solos and a couple Lee Morgan solos and a couple Clifford Brown solos. I think um, those three have really accessible language to the trombone. I love someone like Miles Davis for his breadth and for his depth of you know creativity, regardless of you know, whatever, whatever else he was always committed to being There's Roy Hargrove and Wynton Marcellus who are all incredible. I don't know. There's, it's hard to pick favorites, you know, how that, how that goes, but I like different people for different things. You know, Wynton is incredible technician and master of like playing all over the horn and really emotively and, and incredibly clean and like really, really great stuff in that way and Roy Hargrove we were just listening to um, we were listening to the nearness of you by and Roy Hargrove played it on a record of his I can play a ballad let me tell you Andy can burn of course but but yeah man, I don't know that's that's a couple favorite trumpet players. Uh, good question from DJ he asked what different methods do you use to teach students about phrasing? man phrasing is hard phrasing is something that's really hard to teach. The best way that I found is to really go dive deep into transcriptions. so deep into the transcriptions, not even talking about the notes, talking about how the notes are being played, you know, phrasing and pointing out different phrasing and pointing out different ways to phrase so that you can kind of make musical decisions on your own. That's one. The second is to do more composing because composing makes you slow down your own thoughts that come out when you improvise in my in my experience. So if you're thinking trying to get a student to compose longer lines, shorter lines, more succinct lines, you can give them cl- clear uh, goals with the composition that they're working on or the exercise that they're composing uh, to get them to focus on longer phrasing, shorter phrasing, bebop phrasing, uh, melodic phrasing ballad phrasing whatever it might be you can give really specific details about composing and trying to create something for a specific situation which i think is important Um, and it can and it also helps you to develop your own composition improvisational voice by doing composition so the more you write the more you find the things that you like the vocabulary that you like the chords that you like the substitutions that you like um, because it's your tune so you can kind of write it how you want so deep into solos, matching the phrasing, not even worrying about the notes, and then uh, doing different people like Curtis, JJ, and then like going sideways, Bro- Brookmeyer, going sideways again to Chick Corea, going sideways again, Pat Matheny, Michael Brecker, uh, Bird, Sonny Stitt, you know, they all have different phrasing and kind of just talking about how they're orchestrated, you know? So what's my favorite Chick Corea tune? I don't know what my favorite is. The first one that I really performed was got a Match. Second two were Armando's rumba and his version of So In Love. From the acoustic band record, Acoustic with a K. Those are the couple early ones. I love this tune I've been checking out recently called uh, Bud Powell. That one's really cool. I like the changes. It's like kind of a Monk and Bud Powell tune, kind of mashed into one, in my opinion. Um, I love Windows. I love all of Now He Sings, Now He Sobs, even though most of that is free. I love that, man. I love it so much. Tones for Jones Bones. Recently, I've been working on with one of my students and it's really and that's a cool one that I hadn't played too much. How would you prepare a jazz audition? I was a classical trombone student and I'm new in jazz. I've got jazz auditions in June. All right, Sergio, transcribe as much as you can. Play as many transcriptions as you can. Buy like a J.J. Johnson transcription book and you view it as an etude book. Play and try to match JJ as best you can or Curtis or Slidehampton or whoever your favorites are that you can buy a book and focus on matching their phrasing. Because the biggest thing a classical player needs to learn is the phrasing, is the style, is the articulation that goes along with playing jazz on trombone. Because you can already play the trombone. So that's not a big deal. Phrasing. Just what DJ was talking about. Go deep, man. The notes are easy. You can buy the book, but it's how you play them. Just try to match, you know? You got to think, like, try to sing along with how he plays. So you're getting JJ's sound, like, ingrained here in your head. Totally ingrained, and then you don't have to worry about it so much. You can just play, man. You can just hear the way that the phrasing goes, and then, uh, go from there. If someone approached you in a lesson to work on their part in a big band, how would you go about dissecting that part without the opportunity to work with the rest of the section slash band? Play along with the recording is basically what I would do. Uh, and then help them to realize their rhythmic or pitch inaccuracies. Basically, I mean, without the section, it's a little difficult to get them to match style. So I would have them match the style of the recording. Um, I would have them think about you know, historically the context of like, how does this fit in? You know, I suppose it doesn't make too much sense if it's just like a high school big band chart that's written or a middle school big band chart that's just written to be a middle school big band chart. But, you know, what is it similar to? What are other recordings we can talk about? What are the things that they should be thinking about while they're playing in the section? You know, second and third trombone is a really important part, man. The trombone section is like the meat of the big band sound. And if you don't have a strong second, third player, you're really going to miss a big important part of like the whole sound. You know, you need to have that. How could a bone player have more varied articulation? Oh, it was a question too. Once someone gets to the point where they're able to flow over a tune, for example, when they're just playing and they feel comfortable or they're getting bored of a tune or like they're trying to play more in a bebop style or style of a certain player is um, adding in interesting rhythm, rhythmic vocabulary, but also like you just pointed out, articulation vocabulary. So. Um, you just think about all the different lengths of notes and how they propel the music forward or how they stop the music or what they do you know so I try to get people to really focus in on the articulation when they're transcribing so that they can see like oh Curtis goes it's short that shortness and separation gives a bounce you know and if you go If you play a long note, but you play a long note with no intensity, it just makes, it just dies off, you know, like the music just dies. But if you give intensity to a long note, like Roy Hargrove did that with a long note, he'd give intensity, even in a soft volume, he gives intensity to the long notes and it wasn't, it wouldn't die. It would, you know, it would move forward. It would, it would uh, push, but in terms of incorporating it, you just have to kind of force yourself to do it, you know, write yourself uh, etudes or write yourself some lines and like, no, I'm going to play this short. Not gonna let me play it long. See how it feels. But we often do get trapped, especially when we're in the like ascending part of like our practice routines in terms of being a young jazz musician. We're like more stuff, more stuff, more stuff, more stuff, more stuff, more stuff, more stuff. Right. And then you get to a point where. You're just playing and 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 playing. You can keep play chorus after chorus after chorus after chorus after chorus after chorus of eighth notes, right? You're just more and more and more and more and more and more and more. And then it's weeding the garden. It's taking stuff out to make it more interesting. What does the music need? You know, that's the question I always try to uh, ponder myself. Like, what does the music need right now, and how can I help to create that? You know, if maybe that's through varied articulations and varied rhythms. I, you know, a great Exercise, open up that omnibook, man. Look at those pages. Those are not eighth notes. (laughs) There's the sixteenths, there's triplets, there's uh, eighth note uh, triplets and sixteenth note triplets and rests and quarter notes and half notes. It's all, it's everything. It's expression, you know, it's not just eighth notes. So um, the articulation is what helps us to define the rhythm. So to me, focusing on the rhythm and using the articulation to help define the rhythm could be a good place to start you know just like when you're doing a transcription you know i talk about all right you gotta learn the notes you gotta learn the phrasing but then sometimes you know if you forget to learn the articulation you'll never get the phrasing because the phrasing is so tied to the articulation uh it's all one thing it's all tied together you can't have one without the other when transcribing is essential to match the tone as well yeah when i'm transcribing or when i'm coaching a student through a transcription or making suggestions your job in that moment, and Wynton Marcellus talks about this too. He talks about imitate and then create, or at least he did when I was in high school and was really paying attention to what he had to say uh, as an educator super closely. Um, imitate and then create. You gotta, This that's my thought when you're doing a transcription. You're trying to match exactly every part of the transcription, every single part, not just the notes, not just the phrasing, every single part. So that includes the tone, the timbre, the... The one thing maybe is the cracked notes. I don't know if I care about, you know, necessarily doing the cracked notes, but I listen for things like did did they play for A flat in first position? Did they use alternate positions on this line, do we think? Did they use a natural slur or did they use an articulation? The more detailed you can be, the more informed you are about what you're playing and about what the other person played. And so you're really learning about not only like yourself and your music and their music and the, and the music in a more general term, you're learning, you're learning about how to create those things too. Like how did they do that? There's gotta be a faster way or a better way. You know, one great example of this, other than like figuring out where Curtis is playing A-flats in first position. Another great example is working on Michael D's solos. And sometimes he plays something that's so fast. I'm like, how did he do that? And then you think about it for a minute with and then you're like, oh wait, if I actually play this in this weird combination of alternate positions, now it's easy. You know? And you think about like what you play has to lay so some kind of comfortable way on the trombone or else you're not going to be able to play it because if it's super awkward it's not going to flow naturally out of you even if you practice it like a million bajillion times it has to be accessible it has to be not impossible you know it has to not be impossible especially when it comes to playing fast stuff or more intricate lines things of that nature sorry let me get back to the question match everything when you're transcribing tone timbre articulation feel flow eighth note flow that's super important uh, just matches everything. My goal is to like disappear into the sound of the recording, you know, be as exact as you can, because that's going to help you to get the most out of it, to apply to your own playing, which is the whole point of studying it in the first place, right? Is to develop yourself as a, as a composer and improviser. When you're composing tunes on an album, how do you balance writing tunes that are similar enough to have a vibe, but different enough to not feel repetitive, What I do, DJ, is I write more tunes than I need so that I can select which ones are the best and I don't have to worry about um, repeating myself with vibe. So like Cast of Characters, for example, that record has um, six characters and then like five other pieces and like some of the tracks are split up, so there's more tracks than that. But, But I wrote probably twice as many pieces as what appeared there on the record um, for that exact reason that I wanted to have choice, you know, so I always write more than I need to. Um, but you know, there's things like I need some ballad vibe. I need fast. I need medium. I need maybe odd time signature. You know, there's different vibes, you know, the vibes that you're looking for, uh, on an album, but I, you don't necessarily have to have to quote unquote, like, like a recital. You're like, Oh, I have to play this. And then I have to play this and I have to demonstrate this. And that's important because it's school and it's academic and you're trying to like pass but once you get when you're making a record man if it's all ballads then make it all ballads it can be cool that way you know whatever you're feeling but at the same time if it's all the same it's going to be boring so you have to balance some kind of a combination of vibes and energy and flow together with what you want to create and what you're um, what you're hearing in the moment so what compositional techniques do you use that are unique slash do something different I don't know if they're unique, but I the kind of compositional techniques that I use are generated from what I learned from my teachers who learned from Bob Brookmeyer and Gil Evans, kind of via like Maria Schneider kind of vibes. A composition teacher at Eastman is named Dave Ravello, and there's another guy named uh, Bill Dobbins. They kind of teach the jazz and arranging stuff there it was where I started kind of composing. I mean, I've always been composing. I've always had bands, so I was always writing songs since... Um, High school, I had a, ba- a band. We played like some funk and fusion and whatever. And um, so I've been writing tunes since then. But in terms of something different that I do, it's like I take and I'm doing this right now because I'm working on trying to get myself inspired to write a new a new piece um, for jazz, like a jazz group plus a percussion ensemble. So I'm working on that and I just started really digging into it maybe the last couple of weeks. So what I do is I take a large piece of score paper and I just start writing ideas, I try to find something that I can draw from, a pitch set, um, a scale, a sound, and try to just think, how many different ways can I represent this sound? Could it be key centers? Could it be defining the rhythm? Could it be, there could be it could be inversions of chords? Uh, if it's a collection of pitches, could those be the bass notes? Or could that be the harmony, and then there's different bass notes? Or What happens if I play them forwards? What kind of melody does that make? What happens if I do it backwards? So basically what I do is I brainstorm like all this different stuff and then I find little bits and pieces and I'm like, oh, this could be this kind of vibe or this reminds me of this vibe, uh, meaning maybe a tempo or a feel of a a song that I know or like. And then I start to see where it leads me uh, and then just kind of compose. So I need to do a better job of reminding myself to do this. But, you know, like creating a practice of composing like i have to get into the mindset it takes me a while like i have to get in the mindset like i need to work on a piece i need to compose i have to do it and write nothing or write crap or just brainstorm for days weeks before things start to kind of take shape in my mind of like what it could be so i'm just like all right i'm not going to judge myself about what i'm writing i'm just going to write i just need to sit down and write something it could take 5 minutes it could take 5 hours it doesn't matter i just need to do something some note get or a chord symbol or something needs to get on the page. And if I did that, then I'm doing great. You know, like holding on to like thinking I need to compose this like giant suite of music at one time is like so overwhelming, you know? So I just hold myself to like the practice of doing it, <laughs> the practice of composing, the practice of making it happen, you know, just doing it every day for a while and trying to get into the flow of doing that. So, but basically just if I, Try to explore like, all right, what else? What else? What else? And I keep asking myself that question. What else? When I'm thinking about a shape or a line, that gets me to the next place pretty well, usually. Do I practice excerpts? I have. Do I currently? Like orchestral excerpts? No, I don't. I will just say, admit that I do not practice orchestral excerpts often uh i tell this story kind of frequently you might have heard it before but you know playing excerpts was kind of a turning point for me when i was coming up deciding what i wanted to do musically i wanted to be a classical trombone player i wanted to play in the orchestra but when i started working on excerpts kind of contrasting the process of working on excerpts versus playing jazz i was like nah man jazz is for me i want to like create something i don't want to recreate something not to say that i don't try to recreate things because i do when i'm doing transcriptions i just talked about it at the same time you know the expectation is that you're going to play perfectly this excerpt for this audition and for me that's really difficult mentally to like want to do that Um, i want to play it different every time you know i want it to feel like music not like a recreation I don't necessarily practice excerpts. I have talked about for a while, making a book of jazz trombone excerpts and like hard scale, like hard, um, transcriptions and, uh, parts of big band charts that are difficult. I haven't done it yet, but, um, we could, uh, maybe I'll collaborate on that and I can get that out into the world. If people are interested in that, definitely let me know. Cause I don't know if that would be that useful or not, but like, I always have said like, um, Duke Ellington sonnet for Hank sank should be, a. Uh, excerpt for sure because that's really hard do i work on roshu etudes yes all the time 100 percent jj too jj always have that book on his stand at least that's how the story goes and how it was told to me from uh, steve Teray from many different people that the one book that never left jj's stand was the roshu book So for this summer, I am organizing the second annual Jazz Trombone Bootcamp for 2021. And I'm excited to be able to announce a few of the guest artists that are going to be there this year. And it's going to be pretty fun. There's probably one more to come, at least, uh, in terms of guest artists. You can see that it's going to be June 14 through 18, 2021. And uh, it's the Jazz Trombone Bootcamp. We're going to be on Zoom doing a daily practice. We're going to do kind of warm-ups and fundamentals. We're going to talk about improvisation and going to talk about transcribing, of course, and a whole bunch of things. We're going to have two really great TAs. So I'll announce uh, Jack Courtright, who is one of the finalists in the J.J. Johnson competition for the ITF. He's also our studio TF, will be one of the TAs. And we'll also have DJ Rice, who's here asking questions. His uh, Instagram handle is agrobone. Check in on what DJ, G.J. is up to. He was a graduate of UNT and also helped out last year at our boot camp but i'm excited to have those guys helping me out with the with, with it uh and we'll be doing some listening sessions listening to records last year we listened to some great records that dj brought and again it's june 14 through 18 uh if you go to Finzer.store, you can find the registration info for that. Just search for Jazz Trimbon Bootcamp. I'll be making more posts later. But for all of you who are faithfully watching the live stream, I wanted to announce it first and give you the first chance to look it up or send me an email. I can send you a link to it. But this year, the fun thing is that uh, we'll be able to have more people involved. Uh, we have got three levels this year. Um, and to have people involved, one is, uh, being involved as a masterclass participant. So if some people want to play for our masterclass people will announce, uh, in a second, they're, uh, over here, I'll announce the names in a minute, but, um, do that if you want to just sign up and not play for a masterclass uh, it's a little cheaper and then we'll have some auditors or just people that want to come and watch so and not necessarily participate so if you don't want to participate or play but you do want to get the information there'll be a level uh, for those people as well because there was a bunch that wanted to do that and uh, we might be able to also offer some scholarships this year to some students so if you want more information about that you can email me and we can talk i just want to make the announcement of who is going to be there so it's going to be really cool because some of my heroes are joining us and some people that i used to sub for in new york and uh, some people that i met along the way some people really inspiring trombonists and so uh that's steve davis and i mentioned him at the beginning he was playing with chick korea in his latest band just an amazing educator teaches us at the hart school up in connecticut um up in Hartford. And then we'll have also Michael Davis, who is a great trombonist. He used to play with the Rolling Stones. Has played with everybody on all kinds of recordings in New York. Amazing. Andre Hayward, formerly of the Jazz Lincoln Center Orchestra. He's played with the Duke Ellington Orchestra. Roy Hargrove's big band. He's played with everybody too. And um, just an amazing guy. Super, super great guy and great educator. Really great voice on the trombone which is going to be awesome vincent gardner vincent gardner also of the jazz lingon center orchestra is going to be there again so this is june 14 through 18 this is the second edition of the jazz trombone boot camp i thought maybe it could be in person this year but i don't think that's going to happen things are moving a little too slowly for that to happen this year but we'll look forward in the future to be able to uh maybe organize something in person uh, but for now, it'll be the virtual jazz trombone bootcamp 2021. If you just go to nickfinzer.store, you can register. Favorite Chick Oh, sure. Well, I can tell you the ones that I like. Three that I like. I don't know if they're favorite. Well, favorite. Yeah, one favorite is "Now He Sings, Now He Sobs." Boom. That's that's the number one. And then from there, there's a lot of other ones. I like the Acoustic Band record. I like that one just because I heard it live. But the first trilogy record, the first one with um, Blade and McBride, that one's that one's right up there too. And the second one is right up there too. I like that Origins band, the the one from the early 2000s, the red cover. Steve's on that too. A really interesting one is The Continents, if you haven't listened to that one, recorded with a. With an orchestra, I've been getting into checking out um, his solo piano stuff too. And um, I found on Spotify, actually, something interesting, which is that they archived an episode of um, Marion McPartland's Piano Jazz and could turn it into a record on here. Search Marion McPartland Chick and you can find his episode. It's got him talking about music, like his music and like Monk. And like, it's a really interesting. Uh, Brian Scarborough asked a good question that I can answer really fast. And people can fight me about this if they want my preferred microphone in the studio. Number one, this one is okay for a trombone, RE20. Like It can be okay if it's EQ'd right, used right, but this is like a cheap option. I like the Coles 40-27, 40, 30, 40, 27, 40 The one that's like, it looks like this shape. is kind of an oval, it's kind of an oval shape and it's got, it looks like it's got a grate and it's black. That's my favorite. Some people say it's too dark, but I want my trombone sound to be dark, so. Uh, Coles, baby, all the way. There's an AEA mic, couple AEA ribbon mics that are similar sounding, but I still prefer the Coles. Did you attend any jazz camps when you were a high school slash college student? If so, what were your biggest takeaways? I went to jazz camp once and I went to jazz camp at Eastman, the Eastman jazz camp, summer jazz camp. I realized that there was other people out there that were as nerdy as me about uh, jazz um, and that I knew nothing and I didn't know how to play. So that was what I took away from uh, jazz camp the first time. Um, that was like between my junior year and senior year of high school my um, high school had a good uh, music program the jazz band was like good at executing charts but it wasn't necessarily focused too much on improvisation so I learned that that was like a big thing I needed to catch up on was like that side of it and I think that's true of a lot of people Especially in Texas, it seems like a lot of band programs that just focus on the like playing of charts rather than learning the music. Um, but I was in a band on Saturdays at Eastman, where I grew in Rochester, where I grew up, that would play Duke Ellington's music, and that was like the best because we would open up the charts, and it would just—it was about the vibe, and it was about the language, and it was about you know getting better at all of those parts, not just the one thing or the other. I remember being in a combo with a great bass player. His name was Billy Norris. And now Billy Norris is the MD for uh, musical director for um, Gavin DeGraw, that country singer. But anyway, so it's kind of funny when those th- when you see people later in life and they're doing something in music, but just like, what? Like we played Song for My Father uh, together and now you're doing that? It's crazy, man. Kevin asked, do you think... Playing on large equipment and having a dark sound is ever a drawback when playing lead in a big band or in Latin music? Okay, well, it could. So I think some people will fight me on this. I think you can do it. I think it's possible. You have to have the right sound concept and you have to probably work a little extra hard. I think eventually you'll get sick of how extra hard you'll have to work. I've had a student in the past who's injured himself from having to do that extra work to play, to play a large bore in a Latin and lead setting. I'm not saying it can't be done because it can be done. Robin Eubanks plays good lead. He plays on a big, big instrument. Michael Deese can play lead on a big instrument. So it's all about your sound concept and about your, your setup and how you create the sound that needs to happen in the moment. So I'm not saying that you can't do it, I think you can, but you have to just be aware that there are trade-offs that you're going to have to work a little harder and that um, there will be some people that think your sound is too big to sit on top of a section, but it really depends who the other people in the section are too. Like if they're going to play big equipment and you're going to play big equipment, then it's going to be cool. If like you got people playing tiny little equipment on second and third and you're playing this big horn, it's going to sound weird. (laughs) It's just going to sound a little strange. So you have to kind of get a balance, you know, or be willing to make uh, some sacrifices of your equipment to match everybody else or them to you, you know, one or the other. But, um, you know, that's why I settled on the three B plus because it's in the middle. And so, when I want it to be a little bit bigger and fuller sounding, you use that sound concept. And when you want it to be a little more direct, it still is yellow brass, so it still can cut. And I know Yamaha makes like a, uh, a 525, I think that's what Alton plays. What would your advice be for someone looking to get into music school, but didn't play in high school like most music majors? I have 10 years of playing experience playing music, but on a completely different instrument than what I want to major in. I don't think it's really that important to have studied it in high school. It's important that you've studied that instrument to a level that matches the degree program that you're trying to get into uh, and that your expectations are aligned with what that means. So if you are expecting to be in the top ensemble, but you've got no like, experience playing in ensembles before, it could be hard for you. Uh, regardless of whether you've studied or not. You see, what you need to do is kind of just see what the level is of the programs that you're applying to, what the expectations are, what the repertoire is on the instrument, whatever instrument you want, and and just get it together. Um, I would recommend maybe getting some lessons. Uh, Definitely get some lessons with a respected person in your area if you can right now. It's a pretty good time to like hit up the professor at the school and like do a Zoom lesson because you can't get together anyway. So um, you might want to do something like that. But yeah, I mean, Whether you studied it in school, kind of irrelevant. If you can play, really, (laughs) if you can play, you can play. So I wouldn't worry too much about that. Do you work on tenor and alto clef? Alto clef, I have not worked on since I had a uh, traumatic experience at Juilliard with uh, sight reading, sight singing, excuse me, and alto clef. And since then, I've abandoned it. So I don't do alto clef too much, but tenor clef, yes. Anytime I'm reading a B flat chart, anytime I'm listening, um, playing a tenor part or trumpet part, read it in tenor clef and you can, you don't have to transpose. Definitely I would recommend learning tenor clef. Um, You never know when you're gonna have to use it. So tunes that I'm working on. I was learning Bud Powell by Chikorea this last week. Uh, My studio is working on Web City by Bud Powell. So I was working on that tune this week. There's a great recording of it. Um, Barry Harris' Sextet, Luminescence, Slide is playing on there, Web City. So Web City, it's kind of like a variation on rhythm changes. The A section's rhythm changes, but the B section is um, a little different. It depends on the recording you're listening to, too, because the one with um, Winton and Bobby Watson and Art Blakey, they just play rhythm changes bridge, but on the original, they play some different bridge. So I'm not sure which is correct. I think it just kind of one of those things where, like, over time, people are like, oh, yeah, it's rhythm changes, when it's, like, not really rhythm changes, and then it kind of just morphed into, like, generic rhythm changes, which is okay, but um, an interesting kind of... S- oral history, you know, like things change. It's like the telephone game. Slowly it becomes something else from what it started, started as. So I, I'm trying to learn Frank, some Frank Kimbrough tunes, uh, also. All right. So I hope that you'll investigate our jazz trombone camp coming in June, nickfinzer.store. You can see that we're going to have Michael Davis, Steve Davis, Andre Hayward, Vince Gardner, plus, uh, one more, most likely we'll have our great TAs to help us with that. DJ Rice and jack courtright and uh we'll be moving forward from there so i look forward to seeing you all at the camp i hope in a couple of months but until then uh have a great week and we'll see you next friday here on the stream have a great weekend happy valentine's day etc